You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Dear listener, this is Erin McCord, and I want to take a minute before you start this episode to apologize in advance for the audio. I have been kicked out of my normal office for recording by my horrible child. So I was scrambling to try to make things work and I didn't have the same equipment. So it doesn't sound as good as normal, but I promise the next episode will be much better. Hi, hello and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt, and we're here with your weekly documentary book club. This week, we're going to talk about Midnight Movies from Margin to Mainstream. This was actually on Stars, released in 2005. It's just under an hour and a half long, so like a perfect mm-hmm. length. And directed by Stuart Samuels. Now, the general premise of this documentary is that during the 70s, from about 71 to 78, you had six films that kind of took on this cult phenomenon at midnight showings. And we're going to go through those six films. That's kind of what they go through. So the six films they discuss in this documentary is Popo, Night of the Living Dead, The Harder They Come, Pink Flamingos, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Eraserhead. So I'll start off with Aaron. Have you seen any of those movies? I've seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. And that's it. That's it? Uh, Yeah. Okay. I've seen Night of the Living Dead. I've seen Pink Flamingos. I've had therapy from seeing Pink Flamingos. I mean, I was like, I really want to see Night of the Living Dead. I have talked Riley into watching Rocky Horror Picture Show with me, although I'm like, we really need to go see that somewhere. Yeah. And I've never done that either. So I was very excited about those two. But the rest, I'm kind of like, eh. Although El Topo now, I kind of want to see that because that looks like... Oh, just so much going on there. Um, so weird. Yeah. Um, I've seen Rocky Horror uh, probably a dozen times or so. Right. And I right. have yet to make it through Eraserhead. I just can't. It looked like all the things I hate about movies, which is like, <laughs> it's too art house. It's <sighs> just, to me, it looks like what I would equate listening to jazz. Like, I cannot follow it. And it's just too interpretive. And I just have to have something that I can latch on to because I get bored and that's not mm-hmm. the movie's fault. That's just the way my brain works. So I'm sure there are people that really like it, but it absolutely, like I, say, I, I hate to judge a book by its cover, but in this case, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Cause I'm like, Oh, I think I, I think it'd be like two hours of my life. I'd never get back. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel too. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's get into it. Let's discuss these movies. So I'll start off by saying a lot of these tried to open up as mainstream movies and they failed. But then you have the glorious Ben Barinholtz, who was the owner of the Elgin Theater. Now, this cat, he seems like one cool dude. I mean, he just went ahead and was like, listen, some of these movies that weren't doing so well somewhere else, he's like, bring it here. Let's give it a go. He's the inventor of the Midnight Movie, even, right? Um, Yeah, I agree with you. He seemed like a bit of an entrepreneur in that way. I think he just thought that people would respond well to weird, some weird shit, Mm -hmm. right? The climate and the whatever was right, that there might be some weirdos that were coming out. I mean, the freaks come out at night. I mean, that's what this is all about. (laughs) So, right. I mean, it was right after the hippie generation. It was getting into Mm -hmm. the punk generation and everything. So I don't know. Everything was just the wild west out there, man. That's what it was. (laughs) Yeah. Can we talk now about the fact that everybody was, smoking the doobage in uh in this theater and like that seemed to be a major influence on how these things got popular right i thought that was pretty funny too oh yeah i mean i love how we said everyone was stoned in there well yeah because even if you weren't smoking you were in there so you were stoned yeah well let's start with el topo so Mm -hmm. el topo was made in mexico in 1970 by alejandro horowski i probably slaughtered that last name i've been worried about that too what an interesting combination of last name like that does not seem like a mexican last name doesn't have to be it seems a bit polish right absolutely yeah yeah well what a visionary this cat was oh my gosh and i love how one person described the movie as the freaks fought back and yeah and from the clips they've shown like i haven't seen the movie right so i I can't tell you 
everything about it, but from the clips they've shown, it looks crazy. I want to see it in a movie theater. Seems like a religious experience at that point. Well, they said it was a ritual, right? That was part of the the word of mouth that people were trying to kind of put out there about it. Part spaghetti Western. Mm-hmm. I wrote part art house, you know, whatever that is, and then violent AF. So yeah. that's what I have. It seemed like every everything you don't really touch on, that they went for it. There were people that were disabled. There were um, like a naked kid. The balloon, like where they somebody <coughs> popped a balloon and it, that was like, I don't know, it was winding down. For the duel. And, that's how they counted down to the yeah, duel. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, number one, that's hilarious. I don't know how anybody duels after that. Because you're like, this is just silly, right? you know. But there was a lot of blood splatter and on all kinds of stuff yes. like that. But I, I don't even know if you could follow this thing. But it seemed to have worked for uh, the midnight showings. Yeah. And there, I mean, there was a lot of sexuality, a lot of violence. John Lennon and Yoko Ono went and they loved it. And of course, then they fucking ruined it. That's what I was going to say, too. I was like, John. oh, me thinks there's a theme here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And they came in and then it was shortly to die afterwards. Yeah, so. so it was selling out every night that it was showing at the Midnight Theater at the Elgin and, you know, lines around the block. And then you get, you know, John and Yoko come in. They go and tell their peeps about it. They're like, oh, you've got to show this in Times Square or whatever. And they're like, yep. 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 And they started showing it five times a day, starting at 10 in the morning. I can't imagine watching the show at 10 in the morning. That's harsh. Well, yeah, it's just this situation of a know your audience. Like, why was this successful in the environment that it was in? Mm-hmm. It was word of mouth. It was, I mean, they've talked a little bit about an underground, but yeah, to, to move it out and kind of put different packaging on it, just, I mean, just deflated it. Yeah, they said it was done day- in like three days. Everyone's seen it and yeah. had to move on. It was no longer. Yeah, they weren't interested it. anymore. Yeah. 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 That really just sucks but it was still amazing i know they didn't take it back to the elgin immediately of which my man ben was kind of upset about but i think it has had showing since then at different midnight theaters mm-hmm. and it's still it's got its own cult following i have yet to meet anyone who has seen it live though well yeah i mean i would be interested i, I guess that's something i could have looked up to see if you could still get a hold of these i mean rocky horror you would still find that mm-hmm. but some of these others i I would be very interested to see if that's, I mean, we talked about you can't find dogma anywhere, which is ridiculous, but this was, of course, was the first. So kind of set the, set the bar for the shock value and the violence and kind of the blowing out of the water, anything that you don't expect, like, you know, in movies, we kind of expect things to take it up to a certain, a certain limit. And then they kind of cut away or whatever. They, they don't make the audiences extremely uncomfortable, but in these cases, they just, I mean, they really went for it. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that when I was watching the clips, there was some natural aversion. And yeah. I was like, oh, oh, you know, so it was kind of funny. Yes. I'm so waspy. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's a sad statement. But I think that was the point, right? The point was yeah. to shock and, and that, that they succeeded. Yeah. And then I think people felt naughty, right? Like going out and seeing this, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, crazy shit at night, but it, it feels very different going to see a respectable film at a different time of day. So um, I just thought that was right. funny to hear the clips of people talking about it and, and all that kind of stuff, because they were all like, Ooh, you know, it was, it was hilarious. Well, you had some of the, an older generation even coming in and like, Oh yeah, my friend told me about it. They said it was amazing. I had to see it. And it, it becomes almost when it's a rite of passage, you have to go see it. You mm-hmm. have to have this, like you said, a ritualistic experience, but also it becomes almost familial, right? Because you're going to the show over and over again. Some people would just go continuously over and over and you're growing with the same people. So it becomes almost like a community. And again, you're part of the in crowd, right? Like we all like to be in on a thing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what this was. Even if it played for years and years and years, it was um, just a, an experience. Yeah. So you're right. That was the first one. After that, they put, and, and in between some other ones, they'll show, um, they talked about, like older films that they would throw in, like they threw in Freaks. Okay, good. I'm glad you found that too, because I was like, that that wasn't on my original list. So I was like, and they kind of jumped and just barely mentioned it and then it was gone again. Yeah. I was like, wait a second, what was this one all about? So. Well, it was that one. And then the other one later on, they discussed was Reefer Madness. And both of them were done, I think in the thirties or forties. I've yes. never seen Freaks, but I have seen Reefer Madness and it's fucking hilarious. I've seen not only the movie, but a friend of mine did a musical 
was part of a musical when they had uh-huh. um, theater on the square downtown. And it's just so funny and overly dramatic about marijuana. Well, the, yeah. yeah, the propaganda aspect of it, even though the clips they showed through the documentary, I mean, I laughed my ass <laughs> off. They were like, it's aggression. It's suicide. It's, you know what I'm mm-hmm. like? I My impression of people, the pot kind of thing is, they're just hungry and they just want to chill. It's not like a lot of uh, craziness. So yeah. I just thought that was kind of funny the way they kind of spun. Right. The next one they discuss is Night of the Living Dead. So this one actually came out in 1968 or I don't know if it was released or that's when it was made. Um, but it was before the midnight movies. They tried to have it as a mainstream movie and you know, that didn't work. Yeah. It flopped. Yeah. A couple of comments. One, George Amaro has the best glasses I've ever seen in my life. I think that he needs to be on the show because he had a ponytail. He was just the most animated guy. I thought he looked like a blast and I just want to have a beer with him or a sherry or whatever it is that he drinks, right? He looks like a port guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, But those glasses were... They take up half his face. It's like he had two plates on his head. It was amazing. (laughs) And he said the first film he ever made was of Mr. Rogers getting a tonsillectomy. Yep. He said, that's the scariest one I ever did. And I'm like, I guess what grown man gets a tonsillectomy? Mr. Rogers. Right. He was being educational. So this one, like I said, I tried to cut, it tried to be mainstream and it mm-hmm. failed. I want to say it was Roger Ebert that stated that he went to see it Saturday morning, like a matinee morning at like a family theater and the kids in the audience, he's like, they were, they weren't happy. They were sad. They were scared. I'm like, of course they were. Yeah, I wrote down disturbed. Yeah. But again, I'm like, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in that statement. Is it is it just because he was offended and so he was kind of coloring some of that? Mm-hmm. Or were the kids like, you know, I imagine kids were like, and then they kind of were shocked and then they were like, oh, I love Probably. it. That seems more like a kid thing yeah. to me. But of course you can't put that in the paper at that time because it wouldn't have been well received. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought that was pretty funny as well. But yeah, this is a movie, if people haven't seen it, about zombies, right? It's one of the original zombie flicks done in black and white, which mm-hmm. gives it more character in my opinion. Sure. He said that they did it for like, they made the movie for like six grand. Yeah. That's amazing. I liked that they talked about, number one, that a lot of the, I mean, your your TV was still in black and white at this mm-hmm. point. So that would have been natural. And they said the graininess kind of added to some of it. But one thing I thought that was funny when you were talking about the budget, he said that there was one of the producers, uh, Russ Stringer. I think that's what he said his name was, that he won the sound mix in a chess game <laughs> right. with one of the labs. Right. Do you remember yeah. that little statement? But they were kind of in cahoots with some of the labs that produced the film because they'd made some connections because this is how the news was shot mm-hmm. and some stuff like that. So I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I hope glad he's good at chess because it would have been shitty other than that. So about that soundtrack, let me tell you. Mm. But yeah, they had made this and released it right after Kennedy and King were assassinated. It was um mm-hmm. it's just a whole different world. They had the lead actor was an African American gentleman, which was bold for that time. But I love that he stated, mm-hmm. he said, listen, he was the best person that auditioned. Fuck it. It wasn't, oh, we're making a statement. It was, this guy rocked. We'll just put it in. Yeah. Dwayne Jones Mm -hmm. is what I had his name as. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially, I thought it was interesting. They started talking about, so not only, you know, this was kind of a draw to other crowds. So maybe the African-American crowds were more excited to see this because they had an actor that was playing the Mm -hmm. lead. So even though, I mean, spoiler, he gets shot in the end, which they they didn't want to change. So I thought that Mm -hmm. was cool that... They just kind of stuck with what they had. Mm-hmm. So again, serious shock value. There was guts eating. Right? It's probably intestine eating is what they actually said. But, you know, again, a lot of times some of the more gory stuff up to this point had been implied, but they just, they went mm-hmm. for it. And so people were shocked. And there was like, in one of the views, there's a naked lady and you can see like the backside of her. So it's a little bit of butt action, right? So she's like walking along, staggering, if mm-hmm. you will. And you can see her rear, which I don't think was very common. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was just, again, just why did they do that? I assume, I don't know, I haven't seen this this gem, but I don't know if they explain why the zombies are there. They said that it's just a minute it happened before the first person gets attacked. So I don't know if they ever kind of talk about why the zombies, but I'm like, was this lady taking a shower? <laughs> and then she, you know, got zombified or was she buried naked, which seems an odd choice. But, you know, they had a 
people in a host of states of decay and whatnot. So yeah, I, maybe she fell and hit her head. It I could be. She was in her shower when she came yeah. back to life. I am. Um, yeah. I don't remember. It's been so long since I've seen that movie that I can't remember why the zombies became zombies. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, this is the one that I'm probably the most excited to see. So now I'm kind of like, I, I think I've got to know more, but they said it was the best horror film that's ever been made in the United States. Mm-hmm. So think about, I mean, this set the stage for all of your stuff that comes along later. It's crazy to me. So It really does. I can't think of, again, I'm sure we'll get corrected. I can't think of any zombie mm-hmm. movies prior to this that were mainstream, right? I think zombie prior to this was very specific to voodoo like they had very small little bits oh, okay doing that but this was one of the mainstream yeah. ones and it just kind of the genre just took off anyway i mean there was a whole this is night of the living dead they have day of the dead dawn of the dead and they have all that yeah that came shortly there shawn of the dead no that's way later but still <laughs> still part of it <laughs> yeah that might yeah. be actually my favorite zombie movie ever so yeah that's a good one i like john water said he saw it at a drive-in and it got terrible reviews i mean every review of this movie was horrible did not get a midnight release until 1971. And then what I found really interesting is they didn't renew the copyright. I don't know who had it, but they didn't renew it. And so they said anyone with a copy of it could show the film now because it was public domain. And I thought, oh, midnight movies everywhere. You don't have to pay for it at that point, right? Which probably helped in the long run, right? Like, so it wasn't quite as isolated to the big cities. Like you could have like a smaller town might be able to, I mean, I'm assuming that, the powers that be allowed some fun at midnight. Mm-hmm. I think we might have been fighting some of that at this point, but maybe not. Maybe in the seventies that was a little bit more no, acceptable. I think in the small towns you probably still mm-hmm. had a lot of no, you're home by ten. <laughs> Even adults, you're home by ten. No mm-hmm. one goes out after that. Yeah, yeah. Puritanical. Mm-hmm. Lame. Uh-huh. We will have to look up and see if it's showing in any movie theaters. Probably around Halloween. You can go see it in a movie theater. That's a proper way to watch it. Yeah. Do you want to move on to Pink Flamingos now? If we can. I will say one of my favorites is I did put it on Facebook. I just asked some friends and that, do you have any experiences with these mm-hmm. movies? Um, most of them were just very much like, oh, I've seen Rocky Horror how many times? And that's pretty common even in our generation. But I did have one mm-hmm. friend post. He said, I love John Waters and Divinest People, but experience a deep sense of revulsion thinking of Pink Flamingos. <laughs> and I thought that sums it up better than anything I could say. Absolutely. Because I love John Waters. He's so weird. I love him. So yeah. weird. Every time he was on screen, I was like, that pencil thin mustache is just epic. I'm like, I mean, is that the top of it? Is it the <laughs> bottom of it? Like, how do you shape something like that? Do you actually hold a pencil up to like trim? I hope that it's just drawn on. Because then it can be different <laughs> every day, right? <laughs> yes. I do love that idea. <laughs> I think he's one of the um, few people that could pull off like the pencil mustache or whatever, where they're, you know, the twirly one. He could pull that off. Yeah. I mean, he looks like a villain, you know, like snively whiplash, <laughs> right? Like he's just sitting, he's got some damsel tied to the railroad tracks and he's like twisting his tiny mustache. I mean, that's just, that's exactly what he looks like yep. to me. So I thought that was funny. So Pink Flamingos, an exercise in poor taste. What an epic like tagline <laughs> for that. I liked that there was one that came before at Multiple Maniacs. Mm-hmm. And I have a note that says, no go despite rapey lobster. So there was a scene where whoever this protagonist in this evidently gets raped by a giant lobster. And um, I was like, I they show like some clips and it, it's not graphic, but you kind of get the idea of what's going on. But I laughed so <laughs> hard when I saw that. I was like, yes. I mean, I just, there are I, no I words. I don't even know. Okay. I understand that I have very limited imagination. I get that. My science brain is not going to do that <laughs> yeah. for me. But I look at that and I think, where did that come from? Is that drug induced? Well, he's a, is that where that idea came from? Because otherwise, I don't know. I mean, is that irony? <laughs> Am I? Do I not understand what irony is? It's. I know I'm often like, is that coincidence or is that irony? But I think if it's rapey lobsters, then I really need to read up on my irony. Yeah, I agreed. And mm-hmm. so John sends this movie to New Line's CEO, owner, mm-hmm. whomever. I think New Line was a fairly new production company at the time. Yeah. And this dude, I don't have his name written down. He watched it and he was like, yeah, thanks, but no, not not this yeah. time. Maybe just send us something in the future. Mm-hmm. No. I like that John Waters was like, well, I this one was better. Uh, Pink Flamingos was better. Mm-hmm. And even though they're trying to figure out, so the premise of this, speaking of the person who hasn't seen it, 
they're determining who's the filthiest person mm-hmm. alive. Is that the jam that you picked mm-hmm. out from this? Mm-hmm. But oh my God, Divine has uh, the makeup skills. That's so impressive. Yes. Impressive is one word for it. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I kept thinking like, how do you draw that on? I mean, imagine it's almost, it's almost like clown makeup, yeah. right? Like it's exaggerated mm-hmm. features. So like the eye makeup goes way above your eyebrow and stuff like that. But I'm like, if they had to shoot scenes multiple days in a row, there had to be some continuity mm-hmm. in some of that makeup. So there would have been day after day after day. So that was the part that I was like, that's some skill mm-hmm. right there. Like, that's pretty awesome. The rest seems pretty horrifying in my little baby viewpoint, but yeah. I wonder when I look at Divine, I wonder was she channeling the Elizabethan era? Because I recall in the Elizabethan era, they would pluck their hairline to have like a really high yes. forehead. And yes, her forehead was all the way back to the middle of her head or like the crown of yes. her head. Yes. And so mm-hmm. I'm not sure what she was channeling there, but it had an effect, a serious effect. <laughs> Was she, would she have been the first drag queen in mainstream film? Is that a fair way to say that? Well, I don't think this was a mainstream. Okay. Well, she was um, in Hairspray though. Popular, but that I was know, later. But I mean, that's oh, the okay. only thing I can reference is that she was in Hairspray later okay. and that would have been possibly mainstream, but I don't know. I can't think of any drag queens prior to this that were in film, okay. but... I'm not super familiar with underground stuff, so I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to make a giant blanket statement, but yeah, that part was really interesting. I thought, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that hairline <laughs> thing. I'd, I'd sort of forgotten about that, blocked out perhaps. Yeah, but do you know what? So John Waters specifically mentions exploitation mm-hmm. movies and sexploitation mm-hmm. movies. What are those? Any I assume idea? you're just exploiting whatever, like they talk about black exploitation, so you're, you're exploiting the fact mm-hmm. that you have a black person in it and so pushing that kind of boundary with it i don't know okay okay mm-hmm. you know what girl i can look it up now for an exploitation film it says an exploitation film is a film that attempts to succeed financially by exploiting current trends niche genres or lord content so you're exploiting oh, okay you're just making money off of it okay 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 which they were to a certain extent right so this one again i, I, I repressed a fair amount of this movie um <laughs> and god love john waters that he's like he said if someone throws up in his movie theater, he sees, or during his movie, he sees it as a standing ovation. At least you know what you're looking for here. But I don't recall a lot of actual sex, but there was a lot of nudity and things like that. The new line cinema guy said that when he was watching it the first time, the, mm-hmm. the phrase that came out of his mouth was, she has a penis. Like, <laughs> yeah. a woman with a penis, which he had never seen. And so right. that was new to him. Welcome. Yeah. Well, you're saying it's not new. (laughs) Well, to America. Marginalized. Yeah, marginalized folks here. Um, Yeah, But even with that, he bought it. Yeah, he did. Can we talk about the the end scene? I don't know. I mean, that sounds... I was... (sighs) Okay, so let me see if I can paint the picture for you, dear listener. There's Divine. They're walking down the street. A dog takes a poop, and he eats some of that. According to this documentary, that oh, was it real. Oh, is real. I think it's a single shot. There's no editing. It's just a single shot. Oh, okay. And I was like, I think there were candy bars at this time. Um, <laughs> Chocolate. You know what I mean? Like, like it, yes. Right. You could have, through the magic of movies, you could have maybe edited that. But I mean, they were not interested. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't even have words other than the dedication to your craft is beyond anything I'm willing to go for. So I just was like, and that in itself is why I will not be watching this movie. It's um, yeah, it's something I saw it a long time ago just for the sake of it. Cause everyone's like, Oh, you have to see it. You don't. Right. Yeah. You don't. Again, I love John Waters and divine. I love the stuff that she's in other stuff, but no, thank you. I don't need to see it again. And I think the midnight was exactly where it needs to be. Midnight theater show. Like almost a dare, almost a dare to go yes. and see it. Yeah. So that seems like the perfect situation. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. And then I liked the fact that kind of at the last, they talked about it played for 10 years, one or two nights a week at the new art theater. Mm-hmm. So it really found a home and I mean, had a 
I mean, withstood the test of time, right? Yeah. So nobody, no challengers really came after what they had been doing, which was the extreme pushing of the envelope. So, well, um, I will say about each one of these films, they're all so very different. Not a single one can be compared mm-hmm. to the other. Mm-hmm. It's not like one was like, oh, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do the same thing. And they had made a point to say, you can't make a movie a midnight movie. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. And I'm sure people have tried and failed. The movie just has to, people, I mean, the people have to make it the cult classic, the midnight movie. And each one of these were so very, very different. So who would have known if it would have done well or not compared to the previous ones? Well, I was trying to think. So I think John Waters definitely has a style. Like when I was thinking about, okay, Hairspray. Crybaby. And there were elements. Yeah, there were elements of all of these things that kind of run Mm -hmm. through his art, which is kind of awesome. I, I mean, I dig that a lot. But man, this just, I mean, wow. I mean, it's really horribly impressive. <laughs> horribly impressive. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just, I was just stunned. Like I said, there were, they talked about some lady in a crib that was the egg lady. Um, that seemed pretty awful. Um, that's the one that I, I said mean, that that's what pushed him over the edge. Jesus. They're like just a grown woman playing a baby in a cage or a crib. And they're like, that's yeah. it. That's the one that pushed me over the edge. And like of all the things. Yeah. I just, I wish I, I wish I was curious enough. I'm more horrified than curious. Mm-hmm. So I know that I won't ever really, but I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I know what it is and like, I know of its existence, <laughs> right. but this is not something I'm necessarily interested in seeing. However, can we please talk about what John Waters looked like oh. at the time he was marketing this? He called himself a hippie, a hippie pimp. And I was like, that sums it up fairly well. He is the stringiest. Greasy I don't know. Hair. He's wearing like these weird Western shirts. It just, oh, and the sunglasses. I don't know. I just was like, I mean, again, he's got a style. He stuck with oh, it. Still, God he looks exactly it. the same now. He just has less hair. Yeah. So I like the fact that he was like, look, I made bad taste one percent less yeah. horrible. And I'm like, did you though? But I understand yeah. what he's saying. I'll give you that one percent. He's a character. I love that mm-hmm. about him. So he was very fun to watch in this in right? the show. Well, and there there are some movies he's like, I watched it and I was appalled. I'm like, damn, dude, if you could shock John Waters, that's saying something. Right? I mean, he he's just himself. At least that's what he portrays. Maybe that's a character too. But I just, I like that about him that he's just like, look, you like me or don't, whatever. <laughs> Barf at my movie, it's fine. But uh, I'm definitely this yeah. guy. I think he's someone that would be a lot of fun to sit down and have a drink with. Yes, like he's got to be a guy that's seen some shit, right? If not I mean, created it himself. And then made people eat shit. Yeah. So that's... <laughs> oh. Yeah, we'll get him and George Romero together. Is George Romero still alive even? I don't know. I mean, the radiation that those glasses potentially could have blocked <laughs> from getting to him might have preserved him somewhat. He seemed awfully vivacious. I will give I mean, him that. That was 16 though. years ago, though. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. In my in my world, he's still okay. around. Okay, I like that world. It's yeah. nice there. We're gonna go. We're gonna go with that. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Big number three. Is it three? It's four. The harder That's they come. Four. Big number four. Okay, there we go. Yep. The harder they come. Uh, this movie was <laughs> done by Perry Hensel. This was the first movie that was made in Jamaica by Jamaicans for Jamaicans. And I thought that's fucking mm-hmm. awesome, man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the story of um, the first time that they showed it. It was in a 1500 seat mm-hmm. theater and the people were just screaming the whole time, like happy screams. But mm-hmm. yeah, I thought he said that was a big deal to show a culture itself on right. film. And I was like, oh, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, and as a, as a white American woman, I see mm-hmm. myself represented every day, all day. Okay. Not myself. Mm-hmm. Lovelier versions of myself, if you will. <laughs> but enough so... That, right, you can picture these things. You can picture these lives. I can't imagine not having that kind of representation. And it's getting better, Mm -hmm. but it's still so far off from where it needs to be. So something like this probably was just so huge. And it probably Mm -hmm. just felt so good for them to see that. And also, Jimmy Cliff was in it, and he's fucking awesome. So, yes, I liked the fact. I mean, he, I mean, what a smile that guy has, right? I mean, it was, he's just so charming. At least that's how he comes through on on the clips that I mm-hmm. saw. You just are like, I don't know. He just seems like a neat guy. This is one of those movies that I think I really want to see. The premise of the movie essentially is, correct me if I'm wrong, is someone mm-hmm. 
someone who's lower class, born in the city, kind of mm -hmm. trying to work their way out. But to do that, they end up doing yep. things they, that are legal or they probably wouldn't have done otherwise. And they're never going to get to the point they think they want to get to or that they're going to get to, but they will die trying. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I wrote down a couple notes like, so this is a story about somebody getting into drugs, but not necessarily doing drugs, but mm -hmm. like selling drugs. So he was a bit of an outlaw, mm -hmm. kind of a, I wondered if it was maybe kind of like the Al Pacino movie. Scarface. Mm -hmm. Yes. I wondered if it was kind of parallel to that. I'd, I definitely think this one came before the other one. Maybe that's wrong too, but kind of that rags to riches by way of illegal shit. I think Scarface did come out after this because this movie came out in 1973. So Scarface was later. So maybe Scarface took their idea from them. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but when um, they kind of walk you through what this was about, that's what jumped to mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, that one, I think, obviously made it a little bit mainstream. I yeah. mean, they said, you know, it, it spoke to political concerns at the time. It spoke to the racial concerns at the time. Mm -hmm. And so it was very fitting. And I think a lot of people, even once it moved to the United States really it resonated here as well. It started playing at the Orson Welles mm -hmm. Theater and it played there for over six years. Yep. And they had talked about how everyone coming out of the theater was like seeing the soundtrack. The soundtrack made a big hit. Yeah. I mean, they, of course, for the documentary, they played some of it. And I mean, who among us hasn't heard, you can get it if you really want it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was pretty popular. And then The Harder They Come, which was also featured mm -hmm. in there, but he said, yeah, you'd be anywhere and that soundtrack would be playing. And it was catchy as fuck. So I don't, I, think I mean, it's I'm going to need you to sing a couple bars, Erin. <laughs> oh, you can get it if you really want go, it. Girl. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me happy. <laughs> Copyright, not a good Thank you. Don't worry. We're not making money off this. It's fine. As long as you don't intend to make money off it. Don't tell my kids, though. They think that. <laughs> the only... Right? You got yeah. that two bracelet money, mom. <laughs> to break <up> money. <laughs> oh, oh. I did want to talk a little bit about the fact that so the popularity of the soundtrack may have influenced the reception that Bob Marley and the Whalers got as they came over and transitioned to popularity, would mm -hmm. you say? So I think people were like, oh, I'm not saying that it would have been different because let's be honest, Bob Marley is Pretty bitchin', yeah. but um, I thought that was kind of a cool potential segue. Yeah, that's true. So, Jimmy Cliff, open the door, yeah. Bob. I hope yeah. we're friends. I mean, I've been to Jamaica, and I think it's probably short-sighted to say everybody there knows each other, but it's not a giant place. Mm -hmm. Okay. I might have to go check it out yeah. myself just to confirm. I tell you, I've been, I would not say I'm the world traveler that you are, but I've been to Jamaica, and it was my favorite place I've ever been. Oh, that's so, amazing. I've heard it's yeah. beautiful. I would love to go back. Yeah, it's um, amazing, and the, the people were lovely, and I really enjoyed it. I'd love to, to go there again sometime. All right, and that'll be our girly trip. Hey, yeah. So when we are making some money, we can kind of siphon a bunch off for that, that trip. <laughs> Launder some, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it's our money. I think we can spend it any that's way we want. That's right, so. damn it. <laughs> okay the next movie we talk about is probably the most common one that everyone's heard of is the rock yep. or picture show this was done by richard o'brien i mean he's the creator i think depending on which version you're going with might influence who was the producer director right. um, you know whatever so there were several people that were involved because it started off as a play the rocky horror show kind of a mm -hmm. show in that way mm -hmm. yeah it was a yeah. musical i have seen the rocky horror show on stage not not with have you? mr curry i love it so much i thought if i had to choose my favorite tim curry i would have said legend the prince of darkness or yeah exactly but i don't know this is a tough one because he played frankenfurger so mm -hmm. well Oh, fangirl moment. I know. Back, so. I will say that one of the comments <laughs> I said was seeing baby Tim Curry out of makeup. Like he was doing an interview and he was out of his costume and everything. So just himself. It's the most British I've ever seen anyone ever. He it was even more British. Yeah, it's like, well, he's he's Tim Curry when he's in makeup. And then somehow he's Colin Firth when he's out <laughs> of makeup. And I didn't understand how that worked. I was like, wait, you, that's acting. Yeah. That is I love yeah. him so much. I do too. So they did the they did the musical for a while. I think 72 and 73 and they opened in smaller theaters and got to move up into bigger theaters. Vincent Price was in the original musical. That was awesome. They took it to LA 
and opened at the Roxy to a huge crowd. They stayed there for mm-hmm. a year. And that the opening and that he, they made sure that they called out all your big players were there. Like Mr. Jagger was there. <laughs> and then Yoko and John were there too, but they didn't fuck this one up Thank automatically. God. So I think we should be thankful for that. <laughs> Maybe they learned their lesson. <laughs> right. Just hands off, please. Stop so. it. Um, <laughs> so they decided to make a movie. I mean, because people had seen it. Other famous people had seen it. And they're like, oh, let's make this movie. They kept a lot of the original cast, which I love. Mm-hmm. And they added, well, Meatloaf had done the L.A. production as well. So he wasn't added to the movie. Susan Sarandon and Brad. It's Barry Boswick. Boss. He plays Brad. Hold that on, I wrote Boss with That's right. Thank you. Yes. Very they possibly. were added to the billing, if you will, and that was part of the agreement to do it. And they're both amazing in it. Yes. Um, can we just take a quick moment and describe what this is? I think we did that with the other, sure. but we haven't really broken this. I kind of down. assume that people have seen it, and you're right. A lot of people probably haven't. Yep. Oh, how would you summarize this? I mean, so you have two very innocent I would say late teenagers, early 20s, they're supposed to be playing, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Who get stranded on the side of the road. They end up at a castle because it's raining. So they go to this castle to get help. And they end up in this party. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's just a wild night of, well, Dr. Frankenberg created a man. Yeah. And there's there's sex and there's singing and aliens. And someone described it as the Wizard of Oz of the 70s. That really summed it up. (laughs) I love that one, yeah. So it's a horror musical. Sci-fi um, horror. So, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere between glam and yeah. punk, which I really liked that too. So it's, there are amazing costumes mm-hmm. and makeup and stuff like that. But again, then you've got meatloaf. So <laughs> it's an interesting balance, right? I mean, he's, I would not say that he really falls into either one of those categories in my, mm-hmm. in my mind, you know, you know, he's, he's right next door. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I don't even know. Well, shit. I don't know where, when Bad Out of Hell came out. Was it after this? Right. That's what I was thinking, too. I, I would think it have to have been. Right. I don't know. But yeah. he, yeah, but he's more almost poppy rock. Yes. But still, he, he was perfect for this part of Eddie. Yeah. So, so they make this movie. And a couple things that I think is hilarious is they say that as they're making the movie, like some people come to watch some, some of the producers, the money people, and they're just kind of appalled like they never got around to reading the script and they were like the fuck is this right oh, right too late now your money's already in well i think that's kind of when they're talking about tim curry like just really owning that transvestite and i know that's not necessarily a word that's used now right, right? like that's not necessarily something that we still say but at the time that's part of what the songs are and all well, that kind of stuff so. he was a sweet transvestite from transsexual transylvania yeah which is like, but the way he plays it, you are just like, I have never been that confident ever in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I love that about him and the way he mm-hmm. owns it. It's just Much amazing. less in platform shoes, fishnet stockings, and a bustier. Yeah. I mean, so much yeah. pops. Anyone who can walk and even better dance in those shoes, man, woman, child, I don't care. You have all of my credit. I give you. Yeah, I can sit in heels with the best right? of them, but um, I cannot, if you ask me to walk from... I mean, really back from the table to the bathroom of a bar is just about my limit. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I will have two broken ankles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Can we also talk about the president of the fan club? <laughs> the one that's seen like 3,000 times. Yeah. Sal Piro. How did this cat make it in there? He kind of talked about how the movie gained cult status, which kind of talks about people started coming to the film dressed up in different characters. And then they started singing along and there were lines that people yelled out that didn't necessarily go along with the show itself. It does. It, right? I mean, their response. It's like well, call I mean, and response is what it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the, I mean, would you say the thing that happens at the Sweet Caroline that people sing to at one of the ballparks is somewhat similar, right? There's just kind of a, an accepted response yes. that everybody yes. does when at the appropriate time so and i'm probably going to get heckled for not knowing which ballpark this is (laughs) um (laughs) 
know. I mean, it's a ball sport of some sort. I don't keep up with that. Boston. Probably. I think it's in, yeah, it's baseball, yeah. but I think it's, I think it's probably. Boston. So. Well, that's let's, fine. let's go back a minute and let's say the movie opened up in New York in 1975 and it failed, mm-hmm. right? They put it as a mainstream <laughs> middle of the day type of movie and it failed. They moved it to LA and tried it there. It also failed. And so Richard O'Brien at that point is just like, well, that sucks. It was a good run. We had a good few years doing the musical mm-hmm. and he went back to the UK. And then they opened it at the Waverly at midnight. And that's when it starts to gain its following, right? And so the people start yeah. Yeah. doing the callbacks and then they start having the props that they bring in and then they start dressing up mm-hmm. and then it becomes where they will have people on stage doing the movie with the movie. The time warp well, again? that too. <laughs> they'll do the entire movie they'll act out the entire thing Mm -hmm. on stage as the movie's playing it's a whole thing and that gentleman that i don't have his name but you mentioned him sal mr sal Sal, Mm -hmm. he had talked about how they almost felt like the audience took the movie away from them so it was no longer richard o'brien's movie it was the audience's Mm -hmm. movie and what's nice is that he doesn't feel that way he's like "I, i mean you guys love it if you've made it yours awesome like he didn't even know this was going on yeah. for a while until someone told him hey do you know mm-hmm. what they're doing to your movie he's like i thought it was dead <laughs> so what a pleasant <laughs> yeah. surprise right yeah i thought it was funny too they mentioned that this wasn't just happening in the states or in the uk it was mm-hmm. everywhere and um i mean so they showed pictures of different i'm going to say fan clubs but all over the world and that was really cool to see that because i don't know i mean Somebody mentions later that they think that possibly Star Wars is the biggest of cult movies, but um, this has got to be close because of uh, kind of the following that it's generated, right? Well, I so, think it's it's just a um, different kind of, it's a consistently played movie year round. Like we can go now mm-hmm. at some point, at least one weekend a month, I think the Irvington Theater plays it here at midnight. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, and everywhere around the world, you still have midnight showings of this movie. And I don't know any other movie that has played consistently for so long without being off of the screen. And that's amazing when you think about it. So what are we creeping up on? 50 years? Listen, I feel (laughs) feel attacked. (laughs) I didn't say you've been watching it for 50 years. (laughs) I mean, I mean, 45. I think we need to calm down with the math today. All right. (laughs) We don't need that kind of math today. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I wasn't planning on being offensive. It's just part of my charm. (laughs) I understand so, that the circles in my eyes are looking a little bit heavy today, but <laughs> damn, Aaron, that's harsh. Well, I have to do something to balance out the fact that I put a somewhat unflattering picture of myself on on the interwebs yesterday of me eating <laughs> a huge thing of pineapple fried rice. I was like, you know, in retrospect, maybe a different angle might have <laughs> been lighting. a better choice. Talk to those guys with the camera that, behind us. They would have hooked it up. Yes. I'm telling you, and they said that pineapple fried rice down in a giant pineapple i just about lost my mind it was it was just exquisite yeah so, it's pretty amazing yeah i just got to bring you down to my level mm-hmm. on that so. you'll notice there are no pictures mm-hmm. of me on the internet i'm just saying not yet girl <laughs> we got to get our hundred followers and then we'll have your uh, photographer oh. friend take a non-charlie's angels picture of us because that's what we originally that's wanted right. he was like how about something else that yeah. we were like, okay, listen, Dennis, we'll have words. <laughs> I just, I have a face for podcasting apparently. So <laughs> I know my limits. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I want to add to our list of things we're going to do trip to mm-hmm. Jamaica. And I want to go to Rocky mm-hmm. horror at midnight somewhere sometime. I need to do Absolutely. That. I also keep telling Declan I'm going to take him because he's never been. Well, then I'll take Riley, too, and they, I'm sure they'll have a lot to talk about. But, they can sit um, there and groan I think be, ugh, the whole time. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, they can have a fan club. I'm like, lame moms. <laughs> uh, no, they can't. <laughs> they can have it in secret and never tell me about it, because in my mind, I'm an awesome mom, even though I just kicked my kid out of my room. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, sorry about that. I'm All right. digress. Okay, last Definitely not, definitely not least, we get to Eraserhead by Mr. David Lynch. I know, that's that's my face too. Listen, <laughs> I know that I think when it comes to David Lynch, either you absolutely love everything he does or you don't. I myself am not 
a David Lynch fan. I've never even finished Twin Peaks. I know people who fucking love everything he does. And what for what he does, he has, much like John Waters, he has a style, he has a weirdness that he does, and, and it hits a certain demographic, and they love it. Perfect. I'm just not that target demographic. I'm okay with that. I agree. I just wasn't inspired by this. It just looked... Pretentious. Like I'd be annoyed. <laughs> it looks it looks pretentious to me. Um, mm-hmm. Like they tried really hard to make it super, super arty and far out, which is, I don't think you have to try that hard to do. And it could be way out of left field. He doesn't sound like that kind of person. And then maybe it's because they talked to him 30 years later that it didn't feel that way. But when you're making your first movie, I think they're all like, oh, I'm going to make this amazing piece of art. And this is what came out, right. and it just felt so contrived. I went to film school and a genius, <laughs> you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, yeah. Can we please talk about Henry's hair? Because if that's not the precursor to the high top fade, uh, I'm going to be sorely, sorely Do you think upset about Clay that. They saw that, and that's where they got their inspiration. I think that it's possible. Mm-hmm. I think somebody said, I mean, at first when I saw that, not knowing a lot about this movie, I was like, is that why they call it a racer head? And I, I couldn't tell you if I'm right or not, know. but I was just like, oh my God, that hair is, is really something to yeah. see. It's a, it's something to behold right there. So yeah, I definitely made some notes about that. About the hair? <laughs> the hair and kid and play and all of that. So I'm glad <laughs> we, we I, you were channeling me on that. Yes. So, um, but yeah. Okay. Here's what IMDb says this movie is about. Henry okay. Spencer tries to survive his industrial environment, his angry girlfriend, and the unbearable screams of his newly born mutant child. Well, I've had a child. They're all mutants. And I've also endured the screaming of a child. Mm-hmm. So did I tumble into a dream of dark and troubling things? <laughs> uh, probably at some point. Right. I was pretty sleep deprived a few yes. times, but. Yeah, I, I just don't have any interest in seeing this. It looks weird. So but everything he does is weird. So I think that's interesting because yeah. I look at John Waters and I think, that's weird. I like that weird. This weird is a different weird. I just always hearken back to the lady with the log in Twin Peaks. I don't know. And I never finished it. So maybe there was a purpose <laughs> to the log. But there was just a random lady with a random log that she carried around. And that shit pissed me off. It was just there for the sake of being there. And I don't get that. Yeah. I, you know what, to be honest with you, I, I've heard his name before, but I couldn't have told you that he did Twin Peaks. I remember it being a big deal when I was younger, but I didn't watch it. Yes. You're Um, supposed to find out who killed Laura Palmer. And I don't know if at the end you do find out who killed Laura Palmer. I don't think you ever find out. So why am I going to waste my time? I mean, I think it's because you have an expectation that things were going to be wrapped Mm -hmm. up at the end of something. And I think that there's definitely a a group of people who really enjoy the fact that they leave it open to interpretation. I am not that cat. I wants to know it all. And like how we got here and what the details were and blah, blah, blah. Like I want it wrapped up mm-hmm. like a Disney movie. Um, <laughs> Preferably with a that's how my brain works. Yeah. I mean, like Sopranos, the end of that, I found particularly frustrating. You know, I'm just like, wait a second. I don't, I don't like that kind of ending, which probably makes me less cerebral somehow, but <laughs> I mean, I likes what I like. So there you That's go. That's right. That's right. Damn it. Don't mm-hmm. question that. That's right. I, you know, people love it. That's great. It's like I said, it. there are some people who absolutely love everything that David Lynch does. I think the people mm-hmm. I, so at the end of Game of Thrones, you have two kinds of people. You have people who were absolutely pissed at the last season to two seasons <laughs> seem to wrap up very quickly. Yeah. And you have people like me that thought the previous three seasons could have been one. And so right. I was okay with the quick wrapping up. Let's let's get this taken care of because we've drugged this on way too long. I'm a plot right. driven person. And other people, yep. they just want to go for the ride. No, I'm not a ride person. I know mm-hmm. my limits. <laughs> yeah, you do. I did like the fact that he was talking about, did they get a house? Like, somehow he had access to some kind of large dwelling and uh, a bunch of equipment somewhere in Beverly mm-hmm. Hills, right? And that's sort of how this came about. So I thought that part of the story was kind of interesting because that's probably not something that the average new filmmaker has at their disposal. So I did like that. Well, and he also talked about it, it took like four years to make, right? So there was a lot of time they yeah. didn't have money or time. So they would start <laughs> filming and then the next shot you'd see would have been filled a year and a half later. 
And I right. appreciate that he said it took four years to make because I'm pretty sure people sitting in the theater felt like it took four years of their life away. <laughs> so there's a correlation there. <laughs> they also kind of talked about the soundtrack and some of the interpretation that came along with some of the music or sounds. I don't know that it was all music. I don't know that there was any music. Could have been music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, which might have been somewhat more entertaining. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was an interesting concept. I don't know if it's fair to say he did that on purpose or it just happened to be that way. But yeah, that that part of it I, I found somewhat intriguing. Yeah, I, I'm sure if you'd ask him now, it was intentional. If you'd asked him back That's then. That's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> um, he submitted the movie to the Cannes Film Festival and they never got back to him. Like, he never even heard back. He submitted mm-hmm. it to New York Film Festival and he got rejected. He mm-hmm. submitted it to an LA Film Festival and they actually did run it at midnight. So that's how it it got its midnight following, if you will, was actually the film festival. Mm-hmm. And then Ben, the Elgin guy, he yep. saw it and he wanted it. Like he's got an eye for this weird shit, man. This cat. <laughs> Do you think anybody else was like, um, I'm not gonna fight you for dibs on this one? <laughs> and he's like, Sweet, you know? <laughs> you could just have it. And all right, no, it's really tearing me it's apart right. to give mm-hmm. it to you, but so they put it on at midnight and I love how he's like, I told David, it'll come. Don't worry. It'll come. Right. It'll take time. But it'll come. And so the first night, 26 people came and the right. second night, 24 people came. And he said it took like <laughs> two years to get like full theaters to this. That's dedication to a cause right there. I would have given up after a month. Surely there's something better. I mean, this is a story of success, right? They're not going to talk about all the instances where they didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I thought that was interesting. Right. Did Did you hear the line where somebody was like, I don't know if it was David that said that people would come up to him and they're like, look, I was, anytime I'm dating someone new, I take him to see this movie. And depending on your reaction, it's kind of a, a deal breaker for me, whether they like it or they don't. And I was like, trying to figure that out. Like, I... I mean, obviously, I, I'm pretty sure that I'd be like, that's a no-go for me. But I was like, that's that seems like an interesting way to uh, to go about that. Well, you know what? We all have our deal breakers. And I have a feeling if I witnessed right? like someone said, oh, my God, you've got to see this movie. It's my favorite movie. It's the best of all time. It's like a religious experience. And I went and saw <laughs> it, this movie. Then I'm okay with us not seeing each other again. Right? Well, I mean, yeah, it's a less waste of time. Yes, that's possible. Yes, we've solved that problem real fast. And we can be happy now. And how about the review that said, if a viewer could get permanent damage from a film, <laughs> this would be the one. And I was like, I love that. What a piece of information to gather about the movie that you made. Like, that's a, yeah, that's a strong reaction to a movie. <laughs> that's not a this sucks. That is a strong reaction. Uh, I love that they said most of the reviews just said, this is unpleasant, right? They couldn't pinpoint yeah. what the movie was about. Or what they didn't like about it was just like, I just don't feel good anymore about anything in life. Yeah, I, I don't know. I do I do want to mention, though, I'd be interested in seeing Asparagus, which is the animated film they combined. Yeah, that Ben put on. This, so they played them both. Yeah, it's like a, a weird sexual trip kind of cartoon. Yeah, we don't have to look that Yeah, up. it's like the X-rated uh, Fantasia, right? <laughs> like, that was also animated, but... Obviously not linked, but that's when they were like, oh, it's animated and it's kind of dirty. I was like, "Mm, Um, how interesting. I will say one of the things that Ben had mentioned, which I found was very interesting. He said they try to discourage pregnant women from coming to the movie because that's their (laughs) worst fear. And I'm like, yeah, well, shouldn't you just, I mean, in that case, let's just have women who are thinking about getting pregnant come to the movie and then they might not solve that overpopulation problem real fast. I guess I thought, here we are talking about these movies that push the envelope, but we're choosing what a pregnant woman can and cannot view. So it's sort of, to me, that's ironic. True. Right? That's what I'm talking about. So thank you for making some decisions for me. Well, and also in the 70s, most decisions were made for women. Let's be honest. They hadn't quite moved out of that (laughs) yet. You're right. I'm sorry. I, I guess I was thinking of the freedom of, you know, having my own checking account or whatever. I mean, so. that, that kind of madness happened a little bit later <laughs> or maybe right around then. I mean, they weren't really all accustomed to these 
ladies having all this power. Right, right. Buy your own house. Mm. Jesus, what kind of world do we live in? <laughs> yes. Ooh, good times. Mm-hmm. So obviously there were a lot of censorship views that were challenged by these. A lot of political views, some sexual stuff that was challenged by uh, the craziness in some of these movies. And that's both what made them successful and, I don't know, caused them a lot of grief in the mainstream, mm-hmm. right? So, but yeah, they said that this this really changed how movies in America, at least, get filmed or happen. I mean, like the ones that are successful. These were certainly forerunners to what, you know, came on down the mm-hmm. road. So I like the fact that they were talking about, well, Jaws was sort of an updated version of Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. So a lot of the themes continued past these original movies. One of the things that John Waters had mentioned was his movie, Pink Flamingos, came out the same day as Deep Throat. <laughs> just so you are aware, yeah, that's when, like, Warren was still in the movie theater. I just cannot even imagine going to a movie theater to watch Warren, but that's the kind of environment you were in. To see this movie was probably akin to seeing Deep Throat. Well, I think, though, at the time, you have to remember that you couldn't get, like, there were no videos to rent, right? So you had to go to the theater if you wanted to watch porn. So right. not that I'm an expert mom, but um, <laughs> I'm just historically <laughs> accurate is what I'm doing. I mean, you know, <laughs> where do you pick this shit up? I, I don't know. Some throwing up for a good trivia of a competition or something. We picked so. it up for Boogie Night. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. I mean, they go. did mention that videos are kind of what killed the midnight movie, right? So now you can watch this, you can smoke pot in your own house and you can sit at home and watch these weird movies in your own house. You don't have to go out and mm-hmm. see them. But it, it's so different. I've watched Rocky Horror in my house, mostly because I really like the soundtrack and I can have it on in the background. Yeah. But I can't imagine not seeing it in a movie theater. I can't imagine not seeing some of these in a movie theater. It's such a different environment to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I would like to go and see it, you know, with an audience and kind of partake in that world for a little bit. I think that'd be really cool to go and see that. So, but you're right. I, I would like to see um, The Harder They Come. I would like to see Night of the Living Dead. So, I mean, three out of the six. That's not too shabby. Yeah. No. Yeah. We'll have to see. Maybe around yeah. think, uh, Thanksgiving. Crying out loud. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> nothing says, let's give thanks. I'm sorry. Like, gut, guts eating, you know. <laughs> well, they were feasting. So there's that. Well, yeah, I think of the indigenous mm-hmm. people could probably relate a lot more to that Thanksgiving than the version they teach in school. <laughs> we'll stop there. I mean, who puts buckles on hats? Come on now. <laughs> we should have known they were lying then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <sighs> okay. I, I will say I really enjoyed this documentary because it was fun to look at these movies in this world that, you know, happened kind of before us. Mm-hmm. And the nostalgia of it. And just listening to the actual directors talk about their movies and how they came about and how... You know, they, I think they almost all failed initially and then rose from the ashes. And how exciting that would be for, you know, to watch your creation that you thought was dead come back alive. You know, I do, I do want to give props to people that don't just follow the old, the same old boring path. Mm-hmm. Like they were kind of risk takers, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had to have enough chutzpah to get, you know, get the shit done, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what kind of obstacles they ran into, people telling them it was horrible <laughs> and, you know, making people sick and all this. <laughs> right. I, mean, just, I mean, you have to have an incredible sense of self to pull that shit off. And I admire that about them. It's, right. it's not my cup of tea in most cases, but, you know, I, I like people that have got some big old balls. So, right. And they, I mean, they all did. There wasn't a lady among them. Yeah. <laughs> Shame. Not yet. There's still, there's time. Yeah. There's time. I also, I really enjoy this documentary. I learned a lot, which I, I always laugh because I'm like, I, I don't know how I didn't know about some of these, right. you know, I would not say I'm a giant underground movie person again, but you know, you'd like to think that you're up and hip and with it. And again, a reminder that I am just not. <laughs> as long as you're okay with that, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I had a good time with it. Do you want to talk about what's coming up for us? Yes. What are we doing next week? Okay, so next week's going to be Twas the Fight Before Christmas. You can find this on the Apple TV. Runs about an hour and 30 minutes. So if you want to 
watch out and then do some commenting and ask questions. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at GoDocYourself. And we always appreciate a rate or review or a subscribe so we can get to more people and, uh, you know, share the wealth of this documentary bliss. So we're pretty excited about the next crop of documentaries that we have chosen. Mm -hmm. And um, I will be putting those up very shortly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, please uh, take a little bit of time over your Christmas holiday to uh, find yourself on the uh, different streaming services catching up with us. Yeah, and then give us some comments. We'll fit you in. Yep, absolutely. And um, let me also say, if you've got some recommendations of things you'd like to see us cover, I think we're open to that as well. We might kind of do, uh, we're kind of looking for things that are on the shorter side at this point. Some of the longer series we haven't really figured out how to cover yet, but we're working on it. So yeah. Okay. That's it. Until next week, kids, I will say, remember what Dr. Frankenfurter said. Don't dream it, be it. How poignant. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Later, everybody.